Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, you dig, live action, Kansas City, Missouri. Another episode of the Culture Talks show, the Culture Talks podcast, the Culture Talks network, whatever you would like to call it, we all of that. Um, And as I tell you every single week, every single week, I'm like, next week, I'm going to bring back a fire guest. A fire guest is coming on next week, and I haven't lied to you yet. It's been about a year and a half, and I'm just snapping them out. So today, I'm happy to introduce to you, Richard Anthony. Give me the last name because I don't want to butcher it. Panier? Nah, Panier. It's kind of like uh, Kanye with a P. That's, yeah. that's flea. That is fly. I like that. But yeah, man, thank you for coming on the episode today. We are episode 76 and man, we're just blessed to have you here today. Uh, like I was Appreciate talking being before here, we... Uh, started the video i did some research on y'all like this dude is out here providing value out here providing value gems you know so i was like let me have him on the show um but yeah man go ahead and tell the people who you are and where you're from yes my, my name is richard anthony Pongay. i am a graduate of florida AM university down in tallahassee florida hbcu uh number one hbcu um you know graduated in 2013 i did a couple internships at um FAMU, uh, graduated with accounting with a minor in psychology and uh, also went through a program called Global Security. Um, graduated, went to directly to New York City, started working at JP Morgan for a couple of years, uh, doing some banking with them. And uh, after two and a half years, uh, left there, came down to Atlanta, um, did a whole slew of traveling and uh, got into real estate as soon as I graduated. So, I mean, we'll get into all of that, but uh, definitely here. Uh, in Atlanta now, been here for about four years, I want to say. So time's definitely flying, uh, but it's been a, it's been a good run. And before we jump into it, I think my sister in law is a little bit older than you. She so probably don't know her, but um, I know she worked at J.P. Morgan in New York City for a little bit. Um, don't quite remember what years, and she also went to Spelman, which is you know not near Florida, but it's an HBCU nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, do you know Kelly Brett? Kelly Brett, I do not. Kelly Brett, okay. Just wanted to ask. Just wanted to ask. You know, you never know. Small world. Um, but yeah, man. If you could, if you could describe your life up to now in three words, what would those three words be? So it doesn't have to be like three words that make sense, but you know, three singular words. Um, what what words would you use to describe how your life's been up to you know right now? Uh, I mean, my three words. I mean, I got them written down on my my whiteboard behind me. It's uh, happy, healthy, and and wealthy. Uh, those three words are the, you know, kind of the mantra, the the words that I kind of surround um, things that I do and, and how I live my life uh, and what I strive for. 
Love it. And, and you mentioned going to school in Florida, but where exactly did you grow up? Where was your childhood spent? You know, what, what, what city, what town were you from originally? Yeah, so originally from West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, moved around a lot with my mother. So lived in Fort Lauderdale, lived in Miami, um, actually lived in Georgia for a little bit too. So I lived in Jonesboro, Riverdale area, lived in Douglasville for some time, um, then ended up going back to West Palm Beach for a bit for high school. And then uh, when I graduated, went to Tallahassee um, for college, left Tallahassee to go to New York, was living in New York for a couple of years, then came to back to Atlanta. I love it. I love it. And and growing up, I mean, essentially in the South, sometimes I forget that Florida is the South, but it's the most Southern point. So yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that Florida is the South when I come across, you know, some rapper that I interview or somebody I'm talking to and they're like, listen, Jit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. From yeah, the South. Jit. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. But um, what was that environment like? And, you know, how do you think that the environment in, in those different cities in the South that you grew up in, you know, influenced who Richard is today as a grown man? Well, one for sure is, you know, that Southern hospitality, um, especially growing up with my mother. Uh, she'd always instilled, you know, how you treat others and stuff like that. And, and just being cordial and having manners and, and, and treating people with respect. Um, that definitely played a, a role. And then also me moving around a lot also helped me to kind of get in, uh, used to being in new surroundings and being able to, um, you know, adapt to, you know, different folks, different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, I'm originally Haitian, you know, my, my parents are from Haiti, uh, so I'm of Haitian descent. I'm a first uh, generation American, or Haitian American. Um, and so it, that just being in the South kind of helped me instill, moving around a lot, helped me instill, instill like the process of being able to adapt to new folks, meet new people, uh, and then also just have that that mannerism of, of Southern hospitality. I like it. And, and so from from your, I mean, you know, you know yourself best. Was it was it most challenging? Was it extremely challenging for you to adapt to these new settings and these new people, especially as a young kid, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, you know, having to shift your friends group? Were you able to do that quickly? Were you super, are you a super talkative, like energetic person? Or was that like a, a long process for you every time? Nice. Nah, so, I mean, it, it, I started pretty young, kind of just got used to it, you know, uh, went to kindergarten and went to a different first and second grade then a different third grade. I uh, was there for third and fourth and went to a different fifth grade. And then, you know, just moving around like that, kind of just got used to it and making new friends. Um, I'm not per se talkative once you first meet me. Uh, I'm more of an observer at first, just to, you know, check the surroundings, see who's who, what's happening kind of thing. And then uh, I kind of just you know, make friends slowly as I progress, you know, starting to learn folks and watch, you know, what group is doing what and kind of things that uh, after, you know, kind of just watching what's going on. I love it. You mentioned your parents are of Haitian descent or born and raised in Haiti. Uh, Haiti. <laughs> I almost said mm -hmm. Haitian. Um, how, what what characteristics, what character traits or, or principles did they instill in you at a young age that you carried on into, you know, the businesses that you're running today? Uh, the work ethic, man, they're just my, my parents are hustlers. Um, my father, he's, you know, not in a, not in a bad sense, but what you would call it, you know, he's not kind of a workaholic. Uh, my mother's a hustler too. She's, you know, started her own business as well and, and has a couple of things going on. Um, and they just, you know, do what they have to do to make, to make uh, ends meet or get to where they want to be. And that kind of instilled in me as well as kind of having that work ethic to, to grind it out until I see the, the results that I want. Nice. 
And uh, so was I, you know, you got straight to the point earlier about, you know, you know, getting a bachelor's of science in accounting, you know, working at JP Morgan, going to HBCU, which, you know, the, those aren't easy to get into. Were you always like a, a, a student at heart or was was sports a part of your your life growing up Were other things part of your interest or was school the thing? And you was like, All right, let me let me lock in and get this get this done. Uh, it was kind of like a little bit of both. Yes and no. So, I mean, when I was with my mother, she was always, you know, go, she was the type of mother to go to the store, like go to Target and pick up those workbooks for you to <laughs> do, you know, extra homework during like the summer or something like that or on weekends. So she would always get these workbooks and, and, and like if, if any of my test scores were low, she would go to Target or Walmart, pick up some workbooks for me to kind of enhance that stuff. Um, and so, that kind of worked out, but then when I got to high school, I went and actually lived with my father back home. He was more kind of on the relaxed side and just him being relaxed, which is, you know, not his fault or anything, but then I ended up being relaxed in the school process. So I could definitely see a change in my grades when I was in high school, as opposed to I was when I was in uh, elementary and middle school where I was going through all gifted classes and accelerated learning type stuff. Um, so it was kind of like a change up. So high school, I kind of slipped up, got my first, I think I got my first D or C in uh in high school and I was just like man I've never seen one of these before and that's when I knew you know I was like all right something something ain't right um and then even when I went to 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 FAMU um my freshman year wasn't even the best I think my freshman year had maybe a uh 2.8 GPA uh which is not horrible but you know definitely some slip-ups here definitely uh busy just hanging out with friends and all that other stuff that comes with college and being a first-generation college student so didn't really have, um, you know, anyone older to kind of say, hey, this is what you kind of need to focus down on, or this is how college is going to go. I love it. And so when you made the decision to go to FAMU, was that like an important decision for you to go to HBCU no matter what? Or was there a, like a scholarship or was your family like you need to go here? What was the decision process when you were thinking about going to specifically that HBCU? I mean, honestly, the reason I went to FAMU was because of friends, my high school friends. Um, they were all applying and stuff. They, you know, had either aunts and uncles or, you know, people who knew about the college life. You know, my like I said, I'm a first generation college student. So, you know, I didn't have, I mean, my mother, she did start taking me on, uh, you know, college tours. So she was like, if you're interested in any colleges, I'll, I'll take you to some of the schools and campuses and stuff. So I went to stop by Florida State University, didn't get in. Um, I got a, you know, accepted into Barry University, but I didn't want to go there because it was too close to home. Um, my father, he wanted me to go to Florida State when I didn't get in. So he was like, you might as well go to the community college in Palm Beach. And I was like, man, I'm not staying here. So, you know, all of my friends were like, yeah, we, we applying to FAMU. So I said, all right, bet I'm going to apply too. And I ended up just applying. Uh, I knew I wanted to do business just because, you know, my mother, she used to work as a teller at a bank. My father, he had always been involved in different types of business transaction, business activities. So it just, you know, it was automatic for me to say, hey, all right, I'm going to start uh, out in, in business administration when I get to uh, FAMU. I love it. And actually, I got a funny story, too. I, um, pretty much what kind of solidified me going, going into business. I used to work at Chick-fil-A when I was in high school. And um, this guy, he pulls up in the drive-thru. I'm uh, working the cashier, and he's uh, driving this nice little Bentley two-door coupe. And I'm like, dang, this, this is nice. I'm like... You know, he's dressed in business attire. And I'm like, what, what do you do for a living? Just so I can, you know, know. Kind of like that new guy who's on TikTok asking, like, what do you do for a living? <laughs> so, you know, I was in Chick-fil-A drive-thru hitting people up. What do you do for a living? 
and he said uh investment banking and i was like bet investment banking i looked it up did some research i was like okay business degree um and so i went into famu thinking you know i'm gonna go straight business uh into investment banking did a couple internships or in a couple interviews and just talked to a couple of folks and i was like you know what maybe i don't want to go into investment banking these guys are working 70 80 hours a week um you know the the culture of how they're treated and stuff like that isn't necessarily the best especially for minorities um but i mean they do make a, you know shit ton of money but it's just like they don't even get time to spend that money really because they're always working um so i ended up switching my route from investment banking and going into um accounting and so when you when you <clears throat> first off i connected with that for sure cuz every time i used to like be working a job and i'd see somebody pull up whether it was with a nice whip with a nice car with maybe it was maybe it was a nice watch i always used to ask them cuz like i'm od talkative so like i didn't care what they were thinking i was like hey bro i'm like uh can i talk to you real quick i'll just be in the middle of the job they'll be like uh yeah they'll be like i'll be like what do you do for a living <laughs> and everything people yeah. said i would just write it down i'm like okay Oh, you're in finance. Cool. Oh, you work for this company. Cool. All right, you're a lawyer. Cool. I'm just like writing down all these things, and I was like, and then I would go research them at home, what it required. And then once I turned 17, and I was like, yeah, don't look like I'm getting into a nice college. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't look I'm gonna get into any college but community college, and I'm not staying home. So I was like, yeah, never mind. Skipped over that whole process. But either way, I feel you on that. Um, so. You graduate with accounting like you said you go straight to New York to work for JP Morgan so I kind of just wanted to ask you if you can think back to you may maybe your first year there what is first and foremost what exactly is the job description for a financial analyst and then second um can you like give us a quick walk through of what like your daily operations look like for you at the position you were working yeah, so let me see. That was I mean, I just turned 30 last month, so this was back when I was like 22. So 8 years ago, financial analyst uh pretty much working on like forecasting for the company. So the division I was in was in uh mortgage finance. So I pretty much worked with JP Morgan on all of their uh their pretty much their mortgage department on whether or not they sold the mortgages to institutional investors or whether they kept the mortgages um on their books. Um and then kind of just worked with, uh, you know, kind of the rates and, and what we would sell those packages or mortgages as because most folks uh, may not know, but when you go to a bank and get a mortgage, a lot of times those banks will package those mortgages together and make one and sell it to an institutional investor. Um, you know, folks who have pensions and 401ks and all that stuff, just so that those returns are going into folks' pension. Um, so I was working with that at JP Morgan as financial analyst, working on like the forecasting and budgeting. This was in 2013, so we we're still kind of in the recession a bit, but really kind of coming out. Um, so it was very interesting to just see how they were kind of working the numbers and working with, uh, you know, different strategies to to get themselves out of the hole on um, those investments. Um, and so that was kind of the first year for me. I did get a, you know, one thing I want to let folks know is, you know, when you go into finance, a lot of things are slightly different. You know, you get starting bonuses um, and the salary starts are pretty, pretty straight. I want to say, I think my starting salary was uh, 60K coming out of college um, with a $10,000 sign-on bonus. So they, you know, when I got there to New York, they just hand over a check for 10,000. Were you excited? 
Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> I was like, man, 10 bands, like, right here, just full, just to check in my name, um, went, put it in my account, and I'm like, dang, this is the most money I've ever had in my account at one time as soon as I graduate college. Like, this was lit. Uh, but I wanted to be smart with it, you know. Um, you know, I had a lot of homies who were going into banking, too, so they were getting their sign-on bonuses, uh, leaving from HBCUs and stuff. Um, and But I just wanted to be smart because I know I'm like, all right, I got this money. How can I kind of flip this money and make this money work for me as opposed to using it to go get a nice apartment, you know, down deposit on a nice apartment, go buy a new suit so that when I pull up to the JP Morgan office, I'm looking fly like everybody else. You know, I, I didn't want to spend on all those things. Uh, so I ended up moving in with my uncle. He lived about an hour and a half commute away from the city. So he was in Rosedale, Queens. Uh, so I would take the bus for 45 minutes and then take the uh, train, the subway for another 45 minutes just to get to work. Uh, and then same thing coming back um, just so I could not have to pay New York City rent. So I was staying up in his attic. He had a nice, uh, he renovated himself. So he had an attic, he laid down carpet and floor and stuff like that. Um, but granted it's still an attic so you can don't stand up higher than five feet or you're gonna knock your head um but it, it was definitely worth it because i saved a lot of money staying there for about two about two years um i would help around like you know with utilities and stuff so i pay utilities for the whole house uh which is about you know about 300 a month which is nothing um right compared to compared to what you would have been paying if you were living in the city yeah so you know my homies they had these nice apartments with roommates and each person was paying 1600 you know, to have a roommate. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, man, I would just rather, you know, do the commute, you know, save 1600 extra dollars, you know, every month. Uh, so I, I was just putting that money in my savings account. Like, all right, whatever I would be willing to pay in rent, I'm going to throw that into my savings account. Whatever I would be saving if I was paying rent, I'm going to throw that into my savings account. So I had my savings plus the savings of the rent. Um, and then, you know, just kind of being frugal and watching, you know, how I spend my money. And then I ended up buying a, buying a house uh, down in Florida while I was living in New York uh, to rent out. Love it. I love it. And I'm, we're going to get into that here soon because that's one of the most exciting, the, the more, the, the more focus I have on, uh, on <laughs> the biggest thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, but I did want to ask, you know, what are one to two life lessons you took away from your experience at, um, at the JP Morgan position and then also at, I believe the company's name was EY or something like that. Um, but but yeah, from your from your your two corporate positions, um, what are some life lessons you took away from that? And then also, what are some business lessons that you've taken from from those positions and applied to your own personal businesses? Um, life lesson, yeah. I mean, folks get stuck in in that that realm of working you know the nine to five that they don't follow dreams or they don't start you know the side passion or side hustle that they want to um or they just start you know getting into that lifestyle of living you know middle class or upper middle class and they just are in that consumer mindset of buy 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 i need this i'm making good money now so let me let me treat myself and buy this designer bag designer shoes go to brunch and then they don't realize that they're treating themselves every day to where you have nothing for longevity um, or you're living in a cubicle because you're working all these hours and you don't really get to enjoy life like you should be. Um, and so that was one thing is when, you know, I did a couple internships and 
it kind of opened my eyes. Like I'm used to summertime being my time to be out in the open and out freed, out to hanging with friends and kicking it and do do do. And then this was the first summer where I'm like in a cubicle with a bunch of people who, you know, aren't happy. Yeah, they might go to happy hour after work, but it's like we just spent the whole day inside. It's beautiful as hell outside. I know it's you know some people out there probably lit, you know, and it, and it kind of just you know it was like, all right, is this the life I want to live? I need to design or research how folks are living the life that I kind of want to live. I don't want to be in the cubicle every day, all day um, when it's nice outside. You know, I want to be able to enjoy that nice weather, especially while I'm young and have the energy to go out and do things. Uh, so I made it my, my life goal to like, all right, let me see how I can get passive income um, in order to not have to be tied down to this cubicle. Um, Business-wise though, I, I got really, really good with Excel. And Microsoft Excel is probably one of the biggest things that I use when I'm analyzing properties or analyzing deals or um, pretty much doing anything finance related. I can use Microsoft Excel, calculate my formulas, do all the VLOOKUPs and pivot tables and stuff like that. Uh, and it, and it, it really helped out, um, especially understanding the lingo too about basis points and, and what are good interest rates and good returns on investment and stuff like that. So that definitely helped out as well. I love that you mentioned that because that's one of the uh, little certifications I've been thinking about getting as like a Microsoft Excel cert just so I can become more proficient in it. Mm -hmm. felt like it might be a necessary skill for the things that I'm interested in. So that's funny that you say that. Okay. Um, so your first property you say you bought while you were in um, New York City. So so tw I know 2017, you decided to acquire a real estate license, but prior to that, did you already buy that property that you were investing in? What, yeah. what year did you uh, get that investment property, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so I got that first property uh, as soon as I graduated. So I graduated um, because I had two minors. I stayed an extra semester at FAM. So I graduated December 2013. Um, and then I started working at JP February 3rd, 2014. Uh and so I think I got the property, the first property in May. So maybe three months from my you know, first date. Uh, and that was just because I just saved the starting bonus that I had in my account. Um, I, of the 10,000, I put eight in the bank and then I told myself I got two to play with. Um, and then at that time I was just kind of putting savings from my paycheck back into it, kind of fluff it back up. But I was, all right, I'll take of that 10, I'll take two and I'll do whatever I want with it, have some fun. Um, and then in May, bought a property down in uh, Riviera Beach or West Palm Beach, my hometown. Um, and it was a great deal. Had a realtor send it to me. It was a, a foreclosure from Fannie Mae. They had a foreclosed on whoever the owner was and they fixed it up actually before they put it on the market for sale, uh, which was you know great. And one thing too, if you're in any city and you wanna find Fannie Mae uh, foreclosure, you can go on homepath.com that's H-O-M-E-P-A-T-H.com. Uh, and you can find Fannie Mae foreclosures in your city. They're geared toward people who don't own property yet. So if you're a first time home buyer, they give you uh, first dibs before they let investors uh, bid on the property. That's a gem. Um, and I would play that back. Continue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so didn't find, I ended up finding the property through a realtor. Um, and again, like I said, it was a foreclosure. They fixed it up and they only put it on the market for what uh, the other person owed on it, not even what it was worth. So the property at the time, and it was kind of in the hood. Uh, the property at the time, I think was worth like 62 
thousand or sixty-five thousand, and I bought it for forty. That's clutch. Um, That's clutch. Right. And, so I'm. I'm what did did you uh did you put down twenty percent or was did you use a, a different type of uh? uh no, 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 I did. So really, I put down twenty five percent, which was only ten thousand dollars of you know twenty five percent of the forty. So I put down ten thousand and got a uh, actually got a private mortgage. So my um, aunt, she had some money saved up and was like, "Yeah, I want to put some money to use." And my dad was kind of talking to her, and um, she was like, "Okay, I'll give him you know the loan for it rather than him going to a bank and getting the mortgage. I'll just give him the you know pay the thirty. So I owed her, and I pay her." The mortgage was interest only, so no principal. So I was paying her interest only payments of two fifty a month. So my mortgage was only two fifty a month, and I had a tenant move in that was paying eleven hundred a month on a I think it was a four bedroom, two bath spot. Um, so you know, tenant paying eleven hundred a month. I'm paying my aunt two fifty a month. I'm keeping the difference. I was like, shit, this is lit off the first property. I'm you know cash flowing you know, minus insurance and taxes and stuff and cash flowing close to $700 extra a month. Which, which if I, if I'm correct, is relatively rare, especially for a first property. Very rare, especially for a first property. But I was just like, oh, this is it. And I was like, all right. So then I just got in the mindset of like, all right, I just spent my savings on this next property pretty much depleted. You know, like I used almost every dime in my savings to get the as my down payment. And I was like, all right, I got back into saving heavy. I was like, all right, I'm not going to move out. I'm going to keep saving, you know. Uh, I think I was saving almost, I was saving a lot of money, maybe 80 to 75% of my paycheck um, just because I didn't have any real bills. I, mean, I had my phone bill. I was paying for commuting. I was bringing my lunch to work. Um, like the main thing that I was probably spending on was uh, brunch. I used to brunch heavy in New York like every weekend you know brunching in new york is not yeah cheap. i was about to say that's a great spot to brunch at though that's a great city to be hitting brunch every weekend though because they got a whole lot of dope spots oh yeah so you know i was uh you know back to saving grinding uh, i got that spot in in may then i bought i think a couple months later i was able to get up another um like 16 grand because you know i'm making 700 extra from that first property so i'm adding that to my savings now too all of it um not spending any of it so now I don't mind saving the money for my job and now I'm saving that extra 700 a month. So I was able to save up another 10 bands quicker than I was the first time. Well, the first time I got the signing bonus, but I was able to send, uh, save up another 10K in like a couple months, bought another property in August of the same year. And then actually ended up getting um, another property in December that same year too. Because every time I get another property, all the cash flow from that would just go straight to, um, straight to my savings. Man, first off, Clap it up for a 23-year-old Richard at the time, right? 22, 23 years old? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 20, 2014, 22. Yeah, I had just turned 22 uh, the month after I started working. 23, I just, yeah, 22, 22, 22. I love it. And so I think a few important things for people to, to notice there is, uh, number one, whether it's a property or whether it's a business you start or whatever it might be that you're getting some extra income from outside of your, your nine to five or outside of your day job, you don't got to go blow that on yourself or take it out of your business or take it out of your investment property. Take that, 
and reinvest that. You know what I'm saying? I think uh, one thing I've seen a lot with, uh, you know, friends that are starting to start businesses right now, it's like as soon as they make some money off their t-shirts, as soon as they make some money off of, uh, you know, their first property, as soon as they make some money off of anything, they take it instead of reinvesting it back into further investments to, to further them along or reinvesting it back into their business to improve operations or improve quality. They go and blow the bag and now they got to come out of pocket again from their nine to five. Or they're relying on their nine to five to continue to fund this. So I think it was really important that you shared that you were reinvesting that and then using the money from your nine to five and being smart about how your lifestyle was because you knew what you wanted your lifestyle to be in the future. Yeah. So if, if you have if you have a goal for the future, if you have a target for the future, you start acting accordingly in the now in the present. Um, so I think it's really important for, for people to realize and, and kind of run that part back of, you know, the past 10 minutes of what you just shared. So um, I did want to ask you, though, not everyone comes up on game about, you know, real estate or about who to hit up or find out about these websites or find out or, or get in contact with the realtor or know that, you know, their money could be used to get an investment property that brings them money. So what was 22 year old Richard, you know, reading or who was he talking to to to? get the information he needed to know that, oh, I just got a bonus check. Let me go put it down on an investment instead of getting a bus down Roly. Yeah. So, I, um, so I mean, my father, he was in real estate pretty heavy as well. Um, he actually, so he, when I was in high school, he had his own mortgage business. Uh, so he was helping folks, you know, get mortgages. So he was a mortgage broker. Uh, when the recession happened in 2009, though, he lost the whole business. Um, and he had to, you know, basically start over from scratch. Um, and so I kind of learned from him because he was in that realm of real estate and mortgages and stuff while I was in high school uh, until, you know, he lost the business and had to start over. Um, so from him, he, I think he owned maybe two, three uh, rental properties at the time. And in my head, I was like, all right, you're getting, you have two, three properties, you're cash flowing, meaning after you pay all your expenses, you still have a little money left over from your tenant that, that paid you. So I was like, why don't you, you know, this, this makes perfect sense. Like you don't have to really do any work. Why don't you get more properties? And he's more old school, more conservative with it. So he was like, nah, if I three, four is enough. If I get more, you know, that's more headache, more, you know, dealing with tenants and more dealing with, you know, issues and stuff. Whereas I was like, you know, I, you can streamline it, streamline it, or you can hire out and delegate the work so that you don't have to be in the nooks and crannies of it all. But, you know, like I said, he's, he was old school and, and a little more conservative on it. So I'm thinking, you know, instead of having four, you can have 40. Uh, you know, instead of having, you know, five, you can have 500. Like I, I've, I've come across folks who own 500 single family rental properties. Um, and so I kind of got that foundation of this is possible from him. But then I got the knowledge and wherewithal of what can actually, what it can grow to from this network called Bigger Pockets. Um, and Bigger Pockets is pretty much like the Facebook or the yeah, kind of like the Facebook for real estate investors. Uh, they got a podcast, I would say, because I had that hour and a half commute to work every day, right? So I was waking up at five every day, uh, coming home around eight, nine o'clock. Um, and on that hour and a half commute that I had, I was listening to Bigger Pockets podcast in my headphones. You know, while everybody else is on the train or on the bus listening to music, I got a podcast episode. And each episode is maybe an hour, hour long. And I'd had it playing maybe at uh, 1.25 or 1.5, just to kind of speed it up a little bit. Um, and I was just listening to an episode every single day. 
every single day, going to work, coming from work, listening to an episode, or I'd be reading a book on the train or reading a book on the bus um, that was mentioned on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Um, so anytime they like at, towards the end of the episode, they'll always say what book helped you get to where you at. As soon as they say that, I go on Amazon, boom, purchase the book, have it delivered to the house. I'm reading that book. Um, and so it kind of just helped out. They also have a YouTube channel. If you don't want to listen to this, the podcast, you can watch them actually doing the interview on YouTube. Um, or they all have their website, biggerpockets.com, where it's kind of like a forum of folks having conversations. So you can literally search on the site, whatever topic you want to know, and you can see every conversation that's pretty much had on it. Um, and that kind of helped. And then just networking with folks and kind of just going for it and learning, you know, probably getting smacked on my hand, like, up. Oh, you should have done it that way. But then it's like, all right, I learned my lesson and now I know how to do it better next time. I love it. And do you remember what your friends were thinking at the time? Maybe some of the other people that were that were working at JP Morgan or other businesses with you or your other friends that were going into banking. Maybe they were all getting into real estate. But if not, like when you're sharing like, yo, I just got this investment property or I'm about to take all this bread and put it here. Like, you know, what is your friends or maybe even family? I don't know if you have any siblings, but what were people saying at the time, if you remember? Yeah, I mean, I, so I had a lot of homies who were, you know, we all started working in banking at the same time. Um, and I was letting them know, I was like, yeah, I just bought this property and, you know, it's doing pretty well. And there was like, oh, dope. And, you know, I'd say like, y'all, let's, let's get into it. Like, let's, let's do a deal. Or why don't you get into it too? Like, and they'll say, oh, what do you need? How much do you need? And I'm like, oh yeah, you need eight, 10,000 minimum. And they're like, oh, we don't have it, you know, cause they either blew their bonus check or they were spending or a living check check um at 22 23 because they were just like i have all this money i'm gonna spend it um you know they were, might be throwing a couple hundred dollars like two three hundred dollars in their savings every month but that's gonna take you you know a minute to get to, you know to 10 to 15 to whatever you need so it was me kind of just making those moves um solo uh just because a lot of my homies at the time weren't weren't saving like how i was saving or, or weren't having that mindset to get into it to make the sacrifices of all right, let me get a cheaper apartment or let me live with family or, um, you know, not everybody has that, that instance of being able to live with family, but, you know, you didn't have to get the $1,700, $1,800 apartment. You could have gotten something a little further away, paid $900, you know, paid $1,000 and been saving that extra $700 a month. Um, but people don't want to make that sacrifice. They want to get the nicest thing they can't afford because they feel like I deserve it. I mean, treat myself. I just went through college for four years living in blah, blah, blah with roommates. I don't want that with roommates. I'm an adult now, you know? So they, it, it's, it's that, that mindset of I'm tired of making sacrifices or I did make sacrifices time to treat myself kind of thing. Um, so it was, it was a little different. How do you think we can shift that mindset though? Cause I think it's so, it's so, it's very painful to kind of see that because, you know, one thing I, I realized was crazy when I started getting older. I mean, still young, but as I started getting older, I was like, yo, people are literally going to school, working their ass off or l learning a trade, working their ass off um, or starting a business, working their ass off and making a lot of money or making a good amount of money, especially as a young single person. But they're still living just like somebody in poverty check to check yeah. they have nicer material things but they still have the stress of damn i'm barely making rent this month damn like all my money's gone and i still got two weeks left before my next check like damn yeah. like 
I'm, I'm, I, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have any assets. I just have a whole bunch of shit. So it's like, yeah. you know, you, you might have a lot of money flowing in, but you live in the same way, just in a nicer situation, if that makes sense. Like you might live in more materially nice looking situation, but you live in the same way somebody that's living in section eight is living because you're not being smart. So how do you think we can, I mean, not the exact same way, but, but how do you think we can, uh, shift that, you know, frame of mind for, for other young people coming up? Yeah, I mean, in not every instance, but in most instances, you got to have like, you know, the rules of thumb. Uh, you shouldn't be spending more than 25% of your paycheck or pay per month on housing. So if you're bringing in, um, you know, I mean, just to say, let's say you're bringing in a thousand a month, you shouldn't be spending more than 250 on housing, right? That 25% rule of housing should not cost more than 25% of my monthly income. You should be saving at least 20% of your monthly income, right? So that leaves you, you know, a decent amount of money left to, to still make things work. Uh, folks say you should have, you know, emergency funds, but really, like nowadays, there really aren't emergencies. And if you do, my, I use my credit card as my emergency fund. If anything pops up that is unexpected, I use my credit card, I pay it off kind of thing. Um, but now at the point where I have the passive income coming in, I just know I'm going to get the money coming in, you know, next month or whatever. Um, but yeah, just kind of having those rules of thumb of saving 20% minimum of your income every month. And then I think what, what, what happens is, is folks, they'll get a raise, you know, they're making an extra 500 a month. That's an extra 500 a month of spending money for them, as opposed to extra 500 a month to add to their savings or maybe even breaking it up of, all right, I'm gonna give myself an extra 200 of spending money for the month. And I'm gonna put that extra 300 in savings. You know, it's more so of when I, my income increases somehow, some way my income uh, expenses, I mean, increases as well. And that just can't be the case. So every time I got a, a raise working at JP every year, that extra money, I might give myself, if I got an extra 500 a month, I might give myself an extra hundred a month to spend, but the extra 400 is going to go into the, my savings account. And it's just that instant, not having that instant gratification feel of, all right, let me, let me set a goal to allow myself to buy something. You know, when I reach this goal, okay, now I can treat myself to buy this. And it needs to be like a substantial goal. It's like, you know, I go, I used to travel a lot too. So it was like, all right, I want to go on this trip to out the country with my homies. If I buy this property, then cool, I'll treat myself to this trip. Or if I'm able to save XYZ amount of money by this time frame, I'll treat myself by going on this trip to LA or to Miami with the homies. So it's kind of like a, I'm not just going to treat myself because I feel like I deserve it. It's more so of like what goal that I hit to say that I can actually get this, you know, thing that'll be gratifying. Um, and so it's kind of just setting your mindset up for that. I like that. I like that. I especially, I actually have never heard the, uh, you should never be spending more than 25% for on your living. So that's a dope new way for me to think. Um, but, but I also wanted to share with that in mind, somebody might be like, well, yeah, I do only make 1500 a month. So it's not ideal for me to like use that method. And then in my head, not to be a person that doesn't like 
be considering because I'm considering your situation, but it's like, all right, you got to figure out a way. Well, maybe you shouldn't be living alone. Like maybe you shouldn't be, maybe you should, you know, utilize your network. Maybe you should move back in with family. If that's not an option, maybe you should, you know, figure something out or unfortunately maybe work some more or maybe figure out or learn a skill over the next year or two. Cause you know, oftentimes people hear something in a podcast and they feel like they have to change their life up tomorrow. But the thing is, everything's, everything's a process. So if you just heard this right now and you're like, that's not ideal for me. It's like, okay, work towards that. Like work, you know, downgrade, uh, uh, figure out if there's anybody you can split rent with, find out if there's any family members you can maybe move in with and help them with like, like our guy, Richard here, help them with the utilities, but maybe not the full rent and, and negotiate or learn, spend the next year or two learning a trade so that you can increase your income and be able to, you know, afford that 25% on $3,000 a month because your income's increased. So now you can actually afford rent. So it's like, there's always the answer. You just got to look for the answer and then take action. So I just want to make sure we ain't got no victim mindset individuals listening and giving up immediately because they only make a thousand a month. And they're like, well, I know I can't afford rent for 250. You're right. You can't. But what you can do is you can negotiate, you can network, you can brainstorm, and you can make things happen. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. Um, you can rent a room. Man. You can, like you said, rent a room uh, somewhere, go on Zillow, rent a room or, or whatever. Um, but I think another thing is, too, is we get stuck in, the, in, the, in what we have already. So folks who work in their jobs ask, ask, need to ask themselves, when was the last time you applied for a new job mm. or applied for a new position? Because technically, you should be applying for a new job or new position every three months that has more pay. So if you've been working your job for, you know, nine months, 18 months, two, three years, and haven't applied for a new job that could possibly be paying you more like 10, 20% more money, then you're, you're, not, you're not doing it right. You're stuck at where you're at. You need to be, okay, where can I get the next bag? You're doing the same job, the same job description, same whatever, but you might be able to go to a different company where they pay their analyst $10,000 more a year than they, than they pay the analyst at the job you're at. You need to be, the, people need to be applying for jobs every three months to, to open up the opportunities, whether you're a mechanic, uh, electrician, whether, whatever it may be, like they're, not every company pays the same. So with your experience, it's harder to, to level up as fast by staying in the same company. Now, don't switch from one role that's completely different to another role because then your, your pay might stay stagnant. But if you have uh, a lot of experience in one aspect and you apply at a different company, they're going to be like, oh, sh- like we need you on our team because you can bring, we'll, we'll give you the extra 10 for you to move or extra 15 for you to, for, for you to switch companies. So you always need to be, people always need to be leveling up to say, all right, I haven't applied for a job in three months. Let me apply for a new job or just apply, at least get the experience or the practice for interviewing because people are bad, some people are bad interviewers. So it might not even be a job you want, but just apply for it just so you can practice the interview rounds and then apply for the real job you want. And that way you're bringing the money up and then you decrease your expenses on like housing and stuff by staying with somebody, renting a room or um, having a roommate, staying with family, like you said. So I mean, it really just depends. That's a bar. That's a, you're talking bars. Number one, 25% for living, 20% for saving, still leave what? for 55% of your income to, you know, either, I, I 
highly don't suggest that you blow it, but either invest immediately or or put it somewhere else or increase right. your savings. Because the reality is once you realize and you and you come up with once you realize that you really don't need to be spending all these things and you come up with the structure, one thing, you know, you posted the other day, you know, the four books that, you know, influenced you in some way. And one of them was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think one thing I learned from Rich Dad, Poor Dad was pay yourself first. And once I started paying myself first, I started realizing, like, I got a lot more leeway. Like, OK, I told myself, I said, all right, I'm going to put, you know, my last job, I was like, all right, I'm going to put 400, you know, immediately into my Roth and I'm going to put 200 into some stocks that I like, you know what I'm saying? And then whatever's left, I'll pay my bills. And once I started like doing that, I was like, hold up. I didn't even think I had that money free because as soon as that money was coming in, I was thinking about, you know, who am I going to take out for a date? Who am I, where am I going to drive yeah. to? What, 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 what ticket am I going to buy to LA next? You know what I'm saying? And once you start noticing that you have actually a lot of free money, if you just thought about it, <laughs> like, you start to realize like, damn, I could be using this. I could increase my savings. I can give myself more than $10 a month. I can give myself 150. I just didn't think about it like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that was Barb, but then every three months, cause here's the thing. A lot of people enter a job at entry level, right. Or, you know, that people always complain about, and I understand like, you know, when you're applying to a job and it's like, you need experience. It's like, I'm trying to get experience, but uh, uh, but I can't apply to, you're saying I can't have this job because I don't have experience. So once you get blessed with getting a job that you quote unquote needed experience to, but they let you in, or maybe you got an entry level position, now you're building up a skill set. Now you're building up value. Every three months, you've developed quite a bit of value or, or, or skill from whatever job you're working. And if you're constantly applying and building up your value and working for bigger and bigger companies, like they're going to pay you more because you provide more. It's good. It's different than you coming in. I've never yep. cleaned a kitchen before, but I've been cleaning kitchens for the past three months. Now I can ask for maybe a dollar more, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe 50 cents more. And as, as soon as you progress through that, next thing you know, you look back and you've increased your pay by a lot over the past five years because you made the decision to keep applying and keep leveling up. So I love, mm -hmm. I love that. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. I mean, the same thing even works because I kind of got that mindset or that, that uh, knowledge when I was in college. So every Saturday morning in college, I would apply for at least three new scholarships just to get more money coming in. So I'd wake up Saturday morning before everybody wanted to go day drinking and turning up and go to the game and stuff, wake up 9 a.m. and I'd apply for three new uh, internships. I'd filter out for the ones that don't need essays so it could be quick. Or if it did need an essay, I could recycle an essay that I already written for a different scholarship and then boom, apply, and then boom, apply for another one, boom, apply, I apply for three every Saturday morning. Probably got a bunch of no's, but then on a couple of yeses, that's another thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars in my, my bank account while I'm in college. So it was like, that helped me to get that mindset of, there's a new bag out there, you just gotta go ask for it. A lot of folks get into that, boom, I'm stuck, I'm making what I'm making, I'm gonna wait for my current employer to raise my salary. Nah, nah, nah I ain't waiting on nobody. Bars, bars. I'm getting excited. Hey, when I when I start hearing bars, I start getting a little hype. You know what I'm saying? Be wanting to turn up. I love it. I love it. So I want to double back to real estate, and I want to ask you. You know, can you talk about your personal method in like con conducting a financial analysis on a property that you might be interested in? I know there's you know 
there's different ways people go about doing an analysis on a property, on a rental or on an investment property. But if you're comfortable sharing your process or maybe a process you suggest for beginners, what, what are some things people should be looking at before they, let's say, well, let me ask you, do you have any multifamily properties? Cause I'm just gonna, I was going to use that as an example. If somebody was going to go and get a fourplex, um, you know, in a, in a, you know, small market, community or whatever what what would you su suggest is the process of analysis when they're looking at a property just like the famous saying is numbers don't lie so if you're able to run the numbers and it makes sense then 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 you, you go for it you know kind of kind of the thing I, I so i do own a you know multifamily. um i have a 10 unit apartment complex in tallahassee florida so like you said small market um got it for dirt cheap and now it's appreciated a great amount. But I do also just for analyzing purposes of analyzing any deal, I have uh, two different spreadsheets I use again with Excel. Um, and so I just plug the numbers in and it calculates whether or not what my cash on cash return would be. And if it, that return percentage it meets my minimum of what I want, you know, 10, 15, 15% a year, then I'm like, all right, I'm going for it, you know? Um, and then for a flip, you know, it's the same thing. I plug the numbers in. And if it gives push gives pushes out the numbers that I want to see, and it's like, all right, bet I'm going for this deal, and I make it work. So uh, it kind of just like you said, uh, if I get any deal, somebody says you're rich, they talk to me on the phone like you want to invest in this thing. Blah, blah, blah. I got this house for you that you could buy and renovate. I'm like, all right, shoot me the deal. I'm gonna run the numbers. If it works, I let you know. If it doesn't, I'm gonna pass. Send it to somebody else. That way you don't get caught up in any of the emotional stuff about it. None of um, just having the wrong mindset, wrong um, you know thought process on it, and it's really just the two spreadsheets I have. I've kind of built them out myself. Um, I do have them on my blog. If anybody wants to go to my blog, IamThinkingRich.com. They're completely free. I made them on there. You can run the numbers yourself. When any of you use the same spreadsheet I use, um, the they're, they're all up there for you to download and use for yourself for flipping and for uh, rentals. And that will be in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. So definitely take that and use that because that's free value. Just like, just like Richard was utilizing bigger pockets during his, you know, initial period of getting into investing. You can use his blog. You can use bigger pockets. You can use, you can use, you know, the information he posts on Instagram. You can use podcasts like this one to just get gems, inspiration, um, or just access to information that might assist you on your investment, you know process because everyone's starting from somewhere. So um, for young people who are, you know, coming up right now, how do you like, what's way, one way somebody can go about coming up with an investment thesis for themselves? Or how did, how did you maybe decide the strategy of how you wanted to invest? Like, all right, I want to do, you know, I only want to invest in multifamily. I want I want to invest in single family and multifamily. I only want to invest in single family. I only want to invest in apartment buildings. How did you make your decision and how would you suggest other people go about, you know, thinking about where they want to start investing in terms of real estate? Yeah, for, I mean, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. And for me, it was like whatever would be the path of least resistance. You know, I'm going to figure out what's the easiest way for me to get in and I'm going to do that. So it's going to vary per person. You know, I don't I don't want it to be like, oh, uh, you know, folks to be like, oh, I'm in the San Francisco market. I can't afford anything here. All right. Well, who says you need to buy in San Francisco? Like there's no law that says you can't buy in Wisconsin. There's no law that says you can't buy in Texas. 
like everything is virtual now anyway. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be the property inspector. So it doesn't matter if you go see, I buy property all the time that I've never even seen. Why? Because I'm not the inspector. I'm not the appraiser. I'm not the property manager. Uh, I mean, I might go see it after I bought it. Like even when I bought my 10 unit apartment complex, I didn't see it in person until the day I closed. I, I saw the rent roll, you know what I'm saying? I saw the receipts that the, the rent was being deposited in, uh, in the account. Um, I had an inspector go by, he did an inspection, told me what was wrong and what needed to be fixed and stuff like that. Um, uh, you get an appraiser to make sure that the property is actually worth how much you're buying it for. And then you reach out to a property manager to say, hey, uh, can I increase these rents? Or, hey, what could I get this property rented for if I buy it? And they'll let you know, like, okay, in this market, the rent is this. And you don't even need a property manager to do that because, well, it's better to use them. But if you want to get a preliminary look into what you can rent a property for, there's a website called rentometer.com, R-E-N-T-O-M-E-T-E-R.com. You go in there, you type in the address, you put in how many bedrooms and bathrooms there are, you hit analyze and it'll give you a range, a spectrum of what you can get in rent between like the median range, the high range, if your property is really nice. And then the low range, if it's, you know, not the nicest one on the block. And that way you plug it into the spreadsheet that you can get completely free again on my blog. I am thinking rich um, and, and just go from there. Um, so it really just depends as far as strategy and getting started. My thought process was I don't want to be in a cubicle. So I want to build up as much passive income as possible. So I wanted rental properties. It was the most hands-off. I didn't have to deal with flipping. Flipping, I was a little scared up to start out with because I was hearing a bunch of horror stories about contractors running off with money or doing shitty jobs. Um, so I was just like, you know what? Rentals. Get a tenant. They know they got to pay their rent on the first of every month. I get a property manager to deal with any broken toilets so I'm not getting calls at 2 a.m. You know, it, and it would just kind of streamline the process to hire out and delegate so that I can focus mainly on the investing side and finding the next deal. You know, so I got a realtor who knows exactly what I'm looking for. Three bedroom, two bath minimum. I don't want any two bedrooms. I don't want any one bedrooms. Got to have at least three bedrooms. Got to have at least two bathrooms. Got to be at least 1,200 square feet. Um, and then if my property manager says, yeah, this is a good area to rent out in, cool. And if I calculate my mortgage and make sure that my rent, my tenant is going to uh, cover my mortgage, all the expenses and give me at least $300 extra a month before I say, yeah, okay, I'm gonna do it. Uh, so really it's just the path to least resistance. Some people have connections to where they got people who will let them borrow money to do some deals. As long as you know what you're doing, you're not gonna blow somebody's money, cool. But again, path to least resistance, it all depends on your scenario and what works and you know for you and what you have to work with. Numbers don't lie, run them numbers, ladies and gentlemen, run them numbers. On the numbers and even house hacking house hacking is a great way to get into it too you buy a property and you rent out the bedrooms that's 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 my goal that's my goal for now Let, ladies and gentlemen man uh we're not going to wrap this up yet because i have a few more questions but i just want to say thank you richard uh for the time you've been able to give us and uh gems that you've been able to give the audience so far ladies and gentlemen if you're listening to this right now and you've tuned into this point thank you Make sure you are actually, you know, tapping into the gems he's giving and writing everything down. If you haven't been writing everything down right now, go back, run back the episode, bring out a paper or open up your iPhone notes and start, type, start typing this shit out because he done gave you some websites, some blogs, 
some some inspiration, some gems here and there. So he's 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 killing, he's killing. So I got maybe like two, three more questions, and then we'll wrap it up because I know you got stuff to do today. Um, sure. So I wanted to ask you if you could, just for inspirational purposes, um, <laughs> give give the people you know a rundown of your portfolio, your real estate portfolio, and then we're gonna jump into the uh, e-commerce businesses that you have. Yeah, yeah. So um, the rental portfolio. So, um, so I have. I, I'm here in Atlanta. I have three, well, four properties now in here in Atlanta. Uh, I got three rental properties here in Atlanta, and then I actually just got into new construction. So I'm actually building a house to then sell it uh, in Atlanta as well, uh, and that's completely new for me. So I'm kind of nervous about it, but hopefully, you know, everything goes well. I have uh, in Tallahassee. I have a 10 unit apartment building. Uh, that's fully rented. I also have a townhouse in Tallahassee uh, that's rented as well. Or actually, it's vacant right now. I need to do some repairs, but um, I'm planning on having that rented out hopefully by the summer term or for fall. And then I also have a property in my, you know, back in my hometown, West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, I also did some some arbitrage back when Airbnb was a thing. So in 2019, uh, got into Airbnb and um, ended up renting an apartment in New York and then putting it on Airbnb. Love so it. I had an opportunity where my homegirl, she was she was leaving New York and trying to get out of her lease in New York. And I was like, you know what? You know, Airbnb has been hitting on the first property I had. Um, and I'm sure it'll hit in New York because everybody's going to New York. And it was in a pretty decent area. It was a, a studio apartment. Uh, I want to say her rent was around 2000 a month. And I was like, you know what? I'll take over your, 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 um, your rent. And I'm gonna buy all the furniture that you have in there from you. And I found a cleaner who would go by and clean after each uh, visit. And then I just boom, had somebody take professional pictures, put it on Airbnb and boom, and I was running it up. I don't say that that Airbnb in New York was probably bringing her in around 5K, maybe it's around 5K to 6K a month. Um, and the, 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 the rent was 2K, it's paying the, the cleaner, I think a hundred every, um, every cleaning and, and so you know i was making a pretty decent you know killing off it then COVID happened uh and so the world kind of shut down and i was able to get out of the lease uh on it without you know any any issues or anything uh so that worked out in my favor um sold some of the furniture the rest i just let them throw away because i had already made you know plenty of money off of uh the year two almost i think it was almost like year and a half that i was doing that in new york um so I no longer have that spot in New York, but then now I'm also, getting, you know, like I said, I'm getting into new construction. So this past uh, year, I guess in March, I actually closed on two properties to uh, build uh, three houses and flip one or flip one. So it's four properties in total uh, that I'm working on. I love it. I love it. Definitely inspirational, definitely brings up thousands more questions, but we'll save that for a part two in the future. Um, okay. um, and uh, if I'm correct, you did just jump into trucking recently, right? I did, I did. So I had an opportunity where one of my homies came up to me last year, maybe last spring, last early summer, um, told me about his homegirler um, that got into trucking herself. Um, she bought a truck, had her uncle driving the truck, and the trucking, the truck was was bringing in buku money, man. Like, I want to say she was bringing in maybe 20,000 to 25,000 a month off this one truck that her uh, uncle was driving. 
and she wanted to get her second truck. And so what we did is him and I uh, went half on getting her her second truck. And she promised to pay us 10% of the profit off that truck every month for a year. Um, and so the profit on the, the truck, on the first truck, you know, is at like 50%. So, you know, you're making 20K, you're profiting 10K a month. So that means we're getting 10%. We're getting a thousand a month for buying her that second truck. The truck we got for pretty cheap off Facebook Marketplace. Um, right. Uh, got for pretty cheap off Facebook Marketplace. So, you know, we probably went in total, like, I think we got the truck for like 15K used um, and getting paid, you know, and we split that. So we're each getting a thousand each a month. Uh, so at the end of 12 months, we both get 12K after only putting up seven and we can renew it if we want to. That's clutch. You know, and we have the truck, we have the truck as collateral if she, you know, doesn't pay or anything like that. And then after just seeing those numbers, I was like, all right, I need to get in the trucking, actually start my own authority. Uh, so then I actually um, did that, uh, got my authority active this past February, um, ran the first load, found a driver through um, a friend who knew somebody who drove trucks, had them drive, then had another friend who goes to, who went to family with me, he drives trucks. So now he's driving for us too. Um, and so it, the trucking thing, but it, it's, it's great money, but it's not as easy as it sounds, um, especially getting the authority started, getting your company started, all the licenses and permits and sort of certificates that you have to have. And then dealing with drivers, man, drivers are, are uh, sometimes a headache, man. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But hey, like you, like you already know, every investment, every business comes has to come with some headaches at, at some point in time. So yeah, all part of the yeah. process. I love it, man. I, I'll say that you're a super inspirational uh, individual. I'm glad that, you know, I, I saw somebody randomly retweet one of your tweets so I could have you on the show. I'm glad you uh, agreed to come on the show. And we're definitely going to have to have a part two. Um, but Final two okay. questions. Would you no. would you mind sharing a little bit about the two e-commerce companies that you started? Um, I think one's called Empress Crowns, I believe. Um, yep. And then the other, I had to go to your Instagram, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Black Standards. So can we talk about, well, I don't know if that's uh, e-commerce, but either way, can you start uh, talking about th those two um, before we hop off, share, share a little bit about those and, you know, where people can find more information? Yeah, so Empress Crowns is a uh, kind of like a hair tie for young girls, uh, young boys, or if you want, more than welcome to wear as well. Uh, but it's basically a hair tie in the shape of a crown. Um, and it's I started it back in 2016, uh, just from a post that I saw from my little sisters where, you know, I think one of them might have said, uh, I don't look cute, but I like the picture. And I was like, what do you mean you don't look cute? Like, you're a beautiful young woman. Um, and so I was just thinking of ideas of like, what can I get them or help like do to make them feel you know beautiful inside and out and I was just first thing I was like all right I, mean, I saw a picture and I was like let me do a crown and what the idea I had in mind wasn't something that was readily available so then I ended up having it made went on alibaba.com uh, reached out to one of the suppliers on there and was like hey can you guys make this concept and they were like yeah we can make it paid them money for the prototype they sent the prototype uh, and then I was like, you know, I can just make this in mass, you know, product mass <clears throat> so that I can sell it. And then that's kind of where the idea came from. So um, Empress Crowns just kind of took off from there, partnered with the McClure Twins, who are pretty famous on Instagram, along with some other 
um, social media influencer children who uh, at the time and kind of just, you know, went from there and it was pretty, pretty dope. Um, so that was Empress Crown, still have that going. I actually have, so I was able to buy all the crowns from Alibaba. They sent me probably an order of 800 crowns. Um, and I now have those crowns shipped directly to a fulfillment center here in Atlanta. So anytime that my Shopify account gets an order, the fulfillment center sends out the order for me. So I don't have to, you know, hands off because I was all about passive income. So I was like, all right, what can I do to get this business running without me having to touch it so much, you know, and just focus on the next thing. Um, so I was able to find that fulfillment center through a mutual friend. And then Black Standard, I, because of that drop shipping method, I was just like, dang, can I start another e-commerce business, but this time without having to buy any of the product up front. And Black Standard was a, um, a brand for that for uh, the Greek organization. So, um, you know, Divine Nine at colleges, so Alpha and um, Q Dogs and, and, you know, Deltas and AKAs and stuff like that. I'm not Greek personally, but I just got the idea to uh, make emojis out of all of their hand signs. So, you know, the Deltas throw up the, the, the pyramid and, and, and everything. And so I just took that emoji uh, or that kind of the emoji concept to make them into emojis to put on paraphernalia. And it kind of, it kind of took off. Um, and that with that, I used a website called Printful. So P-I-R, no, P-R-I-N-T-F-U-L.com. And then there's another one called Printify. Uh, P-R-I-N-T-I-F-Y, and you can go on there, design whatever product you, almost any product you want, and put it connected to your Etsy store or connected to your Shopify store. And anytime you get an order, Printful or Shopify will, Printful or Printify will make the product at the time of the order and ship it out to your customer. And they charge you at the time that you place that or your customer places that order. So you don't have to come out of pocket any money pretty much because your customer just gave you $100 for the order. Printful's charging you $40 to ship and make the order. So now you just pocketed 60 and then have to come in and come out of pocket any money. It's like a, a free business to make something. All you have to do is come up with an idea. I love it. So, you know, it, it kind of just works out. If you got an idea of something that should go on a shirt or go on a hat and you don't have the money to start the business, you don't need the money. You literally just go on there. You might need, you know, 100, 200 bucks to start the LLC and to stop, start your Shopify account. But if that's the case, you can just go on Etsy. Etsy is completely free. You start up, you know, the LLC might be. And you're good. Oh, shit. You're good. I can hear you though. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, that was a black standard. Um, and it was, it was, you know, what helped me or helped me get into it. I love it. I love it. That's super fun. I think, uh, I think again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Like you start with the goal and then all your actions moving forward, like can focus on that. So, you know, you wanted to be hands off a lot of things and you were focused on passive income. So you are constantly trying to find ways to, you know, leverage network, leverage relationships, leverage ideas, leverage concepts, leverage your, you know, going to school and knowing that you have a lot of Greek life friends or just noticing that there's potential in some business and then figuring out ways to make that money without having to go crazy, like give a hundred percent, you know, of your time to that. So I love it. I love it. 
Um, I mean, I would even recommend it for you, like the Culture Talks podcast. You can start getting some merch, some paraphernalia, and again, not have to come out of pocket any money. And you can plug it every time people buy a hoodie or a sweater off of you, or you can wear your Culture Talk podcast. You can buy it wholesale just for yourself, and they'll send you a, um, a uh, you know, a mock-up or a, um, a kind of like a preview of what it would look like. And it's easy to go from there. And then if you have a design, you're not an art, art, you know, artist or anything like that. You can go on different websites like Fiverr. Uh, I think it's F I V E R. Yeah, you can just send, you know, send them your idea, and they'll make it and draw it up for you for five, ten bucks. You know, and then you just take that exact drawing, put it onto your product and uh, printful, connect it to your Shopify store, and now boom, you, know, you got to do is market it. Which is which is funny because you know what I'm about to do that with the with the sweatshirts because because the 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 t-shirts like we make some t-shirts by the way but when we hop off I'm gonna have to send you some so you're gonna hook me up with the P, P, PO address or whatever that thing is called PO box <laughs> um but uh yeah. so so we make the we make the t-shirts and everything and sell them you know hand hand to hand or ship them out because we like to you know we, we bought one of those uh screen screen press things or whatever but yeah. the sweatshirts are a little bit more difficult to order and more expensive and everything like that so I think that would be a great idea to utilize you know, print for print for the sweatshirts because you know, again, like you say, you don't come out of pocket, nothing crazy. LLC's already started, so we ain't got to worry about that. So it's just boom, boom, boom. You know what? Look at you. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I love it. I love it. Final question of the day. Um, it's your last day on earth. You're 110 years old. You've lived your life to the fullest. You've been able to, you know do everything you've wanted to do in terms of investments, marriage, kids, whatever you want in life, you've, you've accomplished it. But your great, great grandkids are sitting at your feet and uh, everything you've ever done, it has to be taken with you to wherever the next world you go to is. So whatever you said to your great grandchildren right now is the last thing they have of you. And they ask you, great granddad, give me one piece of advice on how to live life. What are you gonna tell them? Mm. I would say you make the rules and every problem has a solution. So if there's something you want to do, you don't know how to do it, you go find somebody that does, go read a book that does. Um, but yeah, there's there's no set rules on how to live your life. You know, if you don't want to be in that that cubicle or if you don't want to do this, that, and the third, you can live your life exactly how you want to simply by just going to go do some research and and, and reading a book on it. I'm pretty sure there's a book on almost every topic known to man. Um, so it's like, and then if, it, if something specifically doesn't work for your case, you might have to tweak it a little bit. But again, every problem pretty much has a solution. They got people, scientists coming out with vaccines and days and stuff. So anything else, so, you know, it's not rocket science. I love it. I love it. Richard Anthony Panier, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and drop where they can find you on socials and your blog one more time. And then if you give me 10 seconds of your time after I end the show, I would appreciate that. But uh, yeah, just drop, 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 uh, drop your socials and uh, where they can find your blog as well. Yeah, well, I mean, for sure. I mean, first, I want to say thank you, man, just for having me on the show. Uh, this is definitely a dope conversation. I like what you got going on. Um, as far as socials, um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Modern Richard on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, what is my Instagram? Richard two underscores Anthony. Uh, I'm also on um, Clubhouse, 
uh, every now and then. Uh, and that is Real Estate Rich on Clubhouse. And then my blog, you can find out pretty much everything on the blog. I got a lot of uh, different posts where I, you know, type out gems and and just giving hints and stuff on how to get into real estate and finance. Uh, and that's IamThinkingRich.com. Um, and then we have the, the site. So we have Empress Crowns. Uh, that's without the O. Dot com, and then we also have uh, Black Standard, which is B L B C K uh, Standard dot com, um, and uh, I think that's it. I also do consultations, so if anybody hears this and wants to do like a one on one or any type of mentorship, I do offer that. The consultations are thirty minutes, fifty bucks, um, and then the one on ones we can figure out, you know, what type of program you like for one on one, like actual mentorship. If anybody's interested in that. I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you tap in. All that information will be in the show notes. And again, leave a five-star review and share this with a friend as that's the only way we can grow the Culture Talks podcast. This is C-I-Z-Z-Y signing out.